Welcome to the Craft Food Podcast. I am your host, Chef Michelle Fox, a Brazilian firecracker, slow food chef, generational herbalist, and a farmer. I am excited to bring you a monthly dose of information and inspiration to create change in the way we see our food. I'll take you back when life was simpler and food didn't travel 3,000 miles to get to your mouth. I explore the impact feeding ourselves have in the world, our relationship with food, and how eating with the seasons can change the landscape of food as we see it. Get ready to be recruited into the food revolution. We will explore an array of topics from food preservation, farm-to-table concepts, organic certifications, regenerative farming, and so much more. Welcome to the Craft Food Podcast. I'm Wendy Fox. I'm a marketing consultant and a freelance writer and reviewer, and today I'm your guest host at Craft Food. I'm pleased to introduce Chef Michelle Fox. This is actually her podcast, but instead of having a guest, we thought it would make sense to flip the script for the kickoff so that you can learn more about her. And that's also part of what Michelle is doing, is flipping the script on the way we think about food, eating, and cooking, and farming. So for journalistic integrity, I have to tell you that Michelle is my sister in love. Michelle, welcome to your show. Maybe you can start by telling the story of how you ended up podcasting in my brother's old bedroom. Oh, hi. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I'm starting this podcast for the first time. I'm really excited because I was working for years in the Big Island of Hawaii and then the Bay Area. I was a chef there and I got super sick of the hamster wheel and also the direction that the industry was going. Um, so I decided to pack my car and move to Humboldt County which, by the way, it's the self-proclaimed cannabis capital of the world. Um, there, I became a farmer, and my passion for regenerative practices grew really strong in my heart. Um, the heart-pacing life, connecting with people from around the world that will come to the area to work seasonally, relationship with the earth got me super hooked. Um, so me, my husband, and the kids decided to move to Washington State, um, where my father-in-law has been alone for 20 years. The property sits on Island Mountain at 3,000 feet altitude in the Okanagan Highlands, which is about uh, 20 minutes from the Canadian border. Um, it was time to embark on this journey back to the land. So me, my husband, and the kids decided to move to Washington State, um, where my father-in-law was alone for about 20 years. Um, the property sits on Island Mountain, which sits about 3,000 feet altitude in the Okanagan Highlands, about 20 minutes from the Canadian border. We can literally see um, Canada Mountains from our driveway. Um, it was time to embark on a journey back to the land. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how long were you in Humboldt for? I was in Humboldt for about uh, seven years. Um, you know, I decided to get off that hamster wheel, like I was saying before. And, um, you know, I was cooking. Uh, I was the vendor coordinator for Reggae on the River, which is a festival right on the riverbank. And um, then I became a part of of a, a nonprofit uh, where that's where I met your brother, Gabriel Fox. And from there, everything is history. Right, right. Okay, yeah, because you, you had been there for a while. Um, and, you know, I, I know a large part of the story, but for listeners, 
Talk people through what it was like um, really in the first year back up on the farm. You know, it's worth it's worth noting for people who are not familiar with this part of Washington state that it is quite rural and it's not an exaggeration that Canada is right there. Um, but the town, the town that the farm is next to is really under a, a thousand people. It's it's a very it's a very small town in a quite rural area. So, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about what that first year was like for you. Yeah, so for the first year, we're like literally playing catch up. Um, there was a lot of projects that we knew we have to do and a lot of surprise projects. For example, uh, we have a well that is probably a good 30, 40 years old. I think it's over 300 feet deep. Um, and one day the water stopped flowing and we ended up finding out that the pump inside of the well had have broken. And so, you know, we have to hire someone to fix that. Um, the roof of the house had some leaks. Um, um, for example, you know, we are in the desert. So water is the most important resource around here. So what we did is we purchased a 1700 gallon uh, trickle feed tank uh, and had to bury it four feet um, underground, obviously, because here it gets so, so cold. Um, it was a, an amazing and massive undertaking to dig a hole for, it was about you know 20 feet deep hole um, on the ground to then add the tank, add the dirt on top of it and connect that to the well. So then water could trickle into the tank when we are not using it, you know, ultimately is having, you know, an extra um, storage for water. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably um, something that many people are used to always, if they turn on the tap, the water comes out and it's not always like that with a well. And then what how, what was your experience in terms of the community? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm kind of like a earth shaker, I like to call myself. So I need to have like 20 projects going on at once. And so when I moved to Tonaski, Washington, I was really afraid of being bored. So as soon as I hit the ground, I started connecting with a couple of entities around here, the Community Cultural Center, and there's this amazing uh, festival called the Barter Fair that's, I think, been going on for over 30 years. And so I sent them emails like, hey, I'm coming to Tonaski, and please can I help you, you know? So I became the executive director of the Community Center of Tonaski. Um, that way, I was able to meet a lot of local people um, and so between the community center network and also, you know, yours and Gabe's aunties and uncles and neighbors, um, I was able to like create a network for myself, um, which was really amazing for me in so many ways because I was able to connect with so many elder women around me. And it was super honored to listen to their stories, their garden schedules and preservation secrets. Um, I want to note that I always offer help in exchange. For example, I clean many chicken coops, goat stalls, spread manure in a garden. You know, as a meat eater, it's really humbling and eye-opening to clean manure and then spread it, spread it back um, into the earth where later your food's going to grow. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Really thinking about the cycle of it. Um, that... I think that that might be a really nice segue into hearing about your your philosophy about regenerative farming practices and the types of practices that are employed in that. Yeah, so you know, growing cannabis in humble um it's a 
a very common practice there. You know, uh, pounds were worth a lot of money. So people used, you know, they will go to the grocery store and they'll get big old jugs of the three major um, nutrients that a plant needs. Um, and so um, we decided to use, uh, try not to use all those plastic bottles and be dependable on a store. So I learned about Korean natural farming, which you sh anyone listening should check it out. I warn you, is a rabbit hole. Um, and what natural Korean natural farming is, is um, you pretty much are harnessing the power of nature around you um, to feed your plants. So I like to give a really good example for it. So if you build a box, right, a wood box, and you dig on your yard and you throw that box inside and you cook like five pounds of rice about halfway cooked and you dump that in there, cover with chicken wire because so animals can get to it. What happens is, is all the microorganisms around your entire area are going to come and eat and procreate inside of that rice. Um, after that, you take that rice and uh, soak it with water and you create this like amazing, powerful uh, juice and tonic for your plants. Um, so that's what we did. Like we literally we're able to grow cannabis at under a hundred dollars a pound, which is pretty unheard of. What what is the what is the average cost that people have into it for a pound, at least oh, in that area? Yeah, like four, five, six hundred sometimes. Okay, okay, interesting. That's interesting. Um, and that's that's I think that's really helpful context. And then you know the other part of the context here is that you're embarking on podcasting and, you know, working on farming initiatives and um, slow food and sustainability. And much of this has coincided with, coincided with COVID for you, correct? Yes, 100%. Okay, so I'll tell you a story. So, um, you know, I was I was pretty excited. I was working at the community center. I had built a really big following for the center. We had events going on all the time. And I was cooking for, as a kitchen manager for the barter fair, which means about 3,000 meals a year because there's two events and everything is going great. 2019, it was awesome. And then in 2020, COVID stopped everything. Like my boredom level had like rise into insane heights. Like at the peak, literally, I was playing cooking games on my phone. Yeah, right. You have, right like cooking games, you know. So my son, Julian, uh, was born in 2003. He was born nine seconds after midnight on New Year's Eve. Um, he was the first baby born in California. So coming back here to 2020, after his birthday, the next day was, you know, January 1st. He went snowboarding with his friends. My husband was playing in the snow with my stepdaughter, and I was alone inside the house. Um, and I literally had a full-blown existential crisis. Um, I couldn't believe, you know, that now that my son is finally 18 and I'm free as a bird, the cage of the pandemic, pandemic was forcing me to isolate from the world and my loved ones. Um, the next day, a godsend friend, um, sent me a text message that would literally change my life. Um, I got an invitation for an app called Clubhouse, which is essentially a voice only app where rooms are organized by people on topics that they feel, you know, passionate about. 
Um, I literally have found my pandemic haven. Um, I'm such a, a social butterfly, and this app was giving me exactly what I needed, hours and hours of conversations with strangers all over the world. Um, I couldn't find anyone related to female farmers, no rooms, no clubs, no topics. Um, so I decided to create my own club called Female Farmers Unite, uh, which is a pond to represent, you know, women in farming. Um, we like always hear the stories about, you know, Bob the farmer, which is like the only protagonist of the farmer's story. Um, so I wanted to kind of bring attention to that and, you know, make a place where all the minorities, um, you know, LGBTQ, um, you know, brown, black, um, small farmers could come and in, into this hub and connect um, and hang out with each other. Yeah, I know that a lot of people have used Clubhouse to make connections that are not happening on other social media, and that the the audio aspect of it is in large part what's so compelling because you get the immediacy of that conversation. And um, and I also know that you've been having a lot of a lot of talks with people about slow food and slow cooking. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about what slow cooking is and what your philosophy around that is. Yeah, sure. So um, the whole idea is, you know, when people say, okay, slow food, which is a huge movement that started in um, Italy a long time ago. Um, and people are like, wait, I don't, I don't like slow food. I want a fast food, right? But that's not really what it means. What it means is to make sure that you close that loop um, in your food. So like, for example, if you're eating today right now, raspberries that you bought from the store, we are, you know, deep in winter, almost at the end of the winter. And, uh, you know, that raspberry most likely is coming from Chile or Peru, and which means that it has traveled, you know, in boats and trucks for at least 3,000 miles. Um, so paying attention every time you put a little piece of food in your mouth and trying to think about, okay, where did that come from? Um, who who is benefiting? Is it benefiting me as a nutrition? Is it benefiting the farmer that grew that? Because I mean, the price of that raspberry to that farmer in Peru is probably cents on a dollar, right? But you're paying seven ninety nine for the tiny little box, which, by the way, is made out of plastic. Um, so that is a big, big thing. Um, I think that you know, by talking about slow food. <clears throat> I like to always segue into seasonal nutrition, which, you know, it's a concept where everything that you eat gives you nutrition, right? Like, for example, if you go to a fast food joint um, and you have that cheeseburger and the French fries and the soda, most likely your body will dispose of that food very quickly after because it doesn't know how to process all those chemicals and preservatives and all that. But now when you eat, you know, food that was actually grown, uh, you know, a month or two ago, even, um, you know, on this season, um, the amount of nutrition that your body can actually absorb from that food is so much more than if it was something that's full of preservatives. Um, so, you know, I always like to say, you know, 
stop going to a fancy restaurant and eating, you know, a raspberry dessert, for example, and feeling like feeling like you're fancy because you're literally paying the price of expensive food, but you're eating fast food. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and I think that's a really helpful distinction to draw there. But it also does lead me to a question that I think a lot of people think about. It's definitely something that I have grappled with. You know, when I was working a full-time job in corporate America, I found eating seasonally um, and actually even just eating well, sometimes really challenging because of the time that it takes. And then I think it can also be really overwhelming and a little bit paralyzing to people if you're in an urban area and you're in the grocery store and you're thinking, okay, I want some fruit. Is there anything that's okay here? So I guess like, you know, what do you say to people who say, I don't have time to do this um, or I'm not sure where to get started? Okay. So those are, I like to call those myths that were created by the middleman. Um, you know, that is the guy that transport the fruit, um, you know, all those people kind of in the middle in between the farmer and the consumer, right? So first one, you don't have time. So I, I like to tell a little story about my grandmother. Um, in Brazil, uh, we are a third world country. We're a very poor country, but everybody's well fed. And the reason for that is simply rice and beans. So she was a very busy woman. So you know, she would cook a big pot of rice, like three or four cups, you know, let's say it was four cups of rice, dry rice, it would be eight cups of water. Um, and she would make this big cup, a big uh, pan of rice, and then she would cook a big uh, pot of beans, and she would put it away in the fridge. And anytime, every day, when we needed to eat, she would take some of that and then reheat it. Um, you know, another thing to do is to like chop vegetables. You can chop your onions, you can chop your garlic, you can chop your potatoes, your carrots, and then you can freeze it um, as in portions to make food with. Um, so I do that a lot here at the farm um, just to make sure, you know, I like to cook meals at like under 20 minutes. That's like my favorite thing to do. Um, and then also you're saying, you know, what about if you don't know, right, what is in season? The one thing I love to recommend is the farmer's almanac. Um, you can get that on any store, grocery store, um, you know, any store out there. Um, and the farmer's almanac, I think it's been uh, published since like 1746 or 43. Um, and in there, it tells you everything that you can possibly need to know about what's going to grow, when does it grow, um, and what is best for the season? Is it going to be a rainy year? So we're going to have less root vegetables, you know, and also just, um, you know, search on Google. Google is your friend, you know, so just go in there and search um, winter vegetables and summer vegetables or winter fruit. Um, it's really important to think about it as um Things that you can eat that cause the least impact, right? So, you know, like I said, strawberries, raspberries, if you're getting peaches right now, I mean, those peaches must be coming, who knows from where, um, you know, but like apples, bananas and oranges and lemons, right? It has been made where in the world, pretty much everyone has access to those um, those staple fruits um, all year long. 
Um, and you can find, you know, by the little sticker that's actually really annoying, by the way, um, you can look on that little sticker and see. So one thing I'll recommend, if you don't want to get the almanac and it's too much for you, just go into your, in your produce area of your favorite grocery store and start looking at the little stickers. They have to display where that food is coming from. And, you know, when I say local, I mean the United States. If something is, if you live in California and something is coming from New York, that's still pretty close to you. Right. Right. Well, right. And, and also, also if you, if you live in Southern California and something coming from Mexico, that's also pretty close to you, right? So like consider your own, consider your own location. Yeah. Considering your location and that kind of jumps me into something else, which is, you know, I'm, I work a lot on trying to bridge the gap between the small minority farmer and um, the food industry, being a a chef, Mm -hmm. being a restaurant, you know, but I think that it's really important for us as Americans um, to think about the American farmer, okay? Because everybody says like, oh my God, the restaurants, you know, are in so much trouble because of COVID. Guess what? Before COVID, those restaurants are actually making full price and they're taking that money home. The farmer has always made very little and now there's nobody to buy their produce. So buying American um, when we're talking food is really, really important. I'm really passionate about that. So I hear what you're saying about the farmers are the ones who are getting shortchanged. Um, and in COVID times, you hear folks mostly talking about restaurants. But for you as a chef and a chef who has worked in restaurants, I mean, how do, how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, it's really important. Um, I always like to say that the chef is the consumer's teacher. Um, you know, the chefs are the ones that create the trends. They are the ones, you know, if you uh, feel like you have a little bit of more money and you have a special date, you go into a nice fancy restaurant and you're eating, you know, food that is not seasonal, you know, it, it's kind of a responsibility of the chef. Like, I, I really believe that until all of us, like including the consumer, the chef, the farmer, um, the food beverage industry, the government decide to take seasonality, regenerative practices, um, slow food, serious. We're all contributing to like to the decay of our civilization, you know. Okay, so the chef as educator, that's an interesting concept. So is that the inspiration for doing this podcast? Yeah, it's part of the inspiration. I mean, the idea of Craft Food Podcast stems out of Clubhouse. Um, we have a room there twice a month called uh, Root to Rise, the Future of Craft Food. And we have amazing people that come and speak. Um, we sometimes have over 200 people um, listening to that conversation. And I decided that, you know, not only people, number one, that own an iPhone, um, can should be listening to that, you know, because um, it needs to be heard by everyone, you know. So every month I'm going to bring a guest that embodies that change. Um, I'll be bringing leading people in this industry to share their journey with the food, um, tips that you can implement on your life today, and life-changing stories of resilience, trial and error, and a road to sustainability. And then where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? 
Okay, so I have an Instagram, which is uh, Chef Michelle Fox. Michelle is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-E. And on Twitter, I'm Michelle underscore Fox. In there, there's a couple of links. Um, I have ventures with Africa, and, uh, you know, you can book a 30-minute conversation with me there. Um, so it's kind of my hub for everything is Instagram. Great. That's great. Well, hey, I really enjoyed doing this. And I don't know if you know, you mentioned that those produce stickers are super annoying. I used to work in a factory that made those. So I agree with you that they're very annoying and they stick on <laughs> everything all over your clothes. But they do contain some useful information. And I think that's, I think that's this helpful for people to just have really basic ways to kind of know where to get started. And again, this is the first episode of the Craft Food Podcast recorded in March of 2021. The guest, guest is Chef Michelle Fox, who in episode two will be your host. Craft Food Podcast, seasonal cooking is the jam. Um, I'll see you again next month. listening to Craft Food Podcast with your host, Chef Michelle Fox. For my very first podcast, I decided to have my talented sister-in-love, Wendy J. Fox, interview me. She's the best sister a woman could ask for and also an author of four books of fiction. You can go to www.wendyjfox.com to find out more. If you feel like we should be friends, please follow me on Instagram at Chef Michelle Fox or Twitter at Michelle underscore Fox. I am ready to hear your feedback, being good or bad, and hopefully it's a little bit constructive. I am a Leo, so it's hard for me to take criticism, but I am learning. The link on my bio on Instagram, you can see all the projects I'm involved with. I'm about to go to Africa, but that's for another podcast.